Hi, I'm Stu Kagan, and welcome to Born Scrappy, the podcast for scrap metal exporters and traders. Join me in conversation with some of the most experienced traders and operators that have helped shape this incredible industry. In today's episode, I'm joined by Harry Seal. Harry is the CEO at Atlas Commodities. He's also a board member of the BAR and BMRA. Atlas was recently awarded the seventh fastest growing private company in the UK and is doing well over a million tons per year. In today's episode, we talk about challenging the status quo, how to win a big fish, choosing your capital partners, paying is the best way to learn, and so much more. So let's get into it with Harry. But first, intro. Hey, Harry. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Stu. How are you? Yeah, I'm awesome. Um, early morning here at the moment. You're sitting in um, beautiful Switzerland, I hear. What's I am, happening yes. there? Yeah, not much. There's not a lot of snow. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> more work than play at the moment. But uh, Right, right, right. So the family are sitting around somewhere wishing there was snow, and you're, uh, you're dealing with what's happening in the yards. Yeah, yeah it's uh, half the course story of all of our lives right <laughs> even if there was snow sometimes you would still just be dealing with what's happening in the yards uh, airpods are the worst invention ever <laughs> yeah. yeah wherever we are man that's where it's happening um harry you've had some cool things happening at atlas commodities for a while now um you've won some really cool awards you recently have been put on the Ferris board at the BAR. I know mm. you're a board member of the um, British Metal Recyclers Association. Mm-hmm. So you play a, a really large role in this industry. Can you tell us how you got involved in the industry and kind of what the journey's been like um, so far? Yeah, yeah. Um, I came out of school, uh, sort of not really sure what to do at 18 after my um, A-levels. I was taking a year off from going to university, intended to go traveling, went traveling, uh, came back, found myself in need of a job. So I applied at the time to a metal recycling company. Uh, They were running a trainee graduate program. So, uh, yeah, following in my father's footsteps, he was the commercial director of EMR in the UK. Uh, I started there five o'clock uh, in the mornings, cleaning out the shears, depolluting cars and the like. Um, and I sort of transitioned through through the company into a, into a more commercial role after yeah six or seven years of operational management roles. So, yeah, it's a good grounding, I would say, in, in scrap, all things scrap. Uh, I mean, I'd say it's the best form of grounding, right? Um, uh, I did something very similar at 18 years old, joined a scrap mm-hmm. metal company. Um, and and although it was so tough at the time, you know, I look back, my hours were mad. Um, yeah. I didn't really get weekends. I kind of was let off to go play rugby matches on a Saturday and then kind of had to shoot back to the yard. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't change a thing, right? I mean, you couldn't yeah. be where you are now if you hadn't done that. Am I right? No, categoric. The best sort of... Uh work life experience you could have uh, yeah, working for yeah. a, a good company as well really helps mm. yeah so. yeah absolutely um 
talk us through this meteoric rise of Atlas commodities over the last few years. Um, talk me through the journey. What sort of volumes are we talking about? How rapid has this growth been? Yeah, well, we've uh, Atlas Commodities was going before I started. It was uh, my business partner, Mark Robertson, who started the firm in 2014. Um, he brought me on in 2020 to, you know, really put our heads together and, and go for it. And sort of since that time, we work really well together. And uh, yeah, we're doing all right. We're the new boys on the block. Uh, we're taking a little bit of market share and and we're having fun at the same time. So that's what it's all about, right? It's yeah, yeah. You're not working when you're having fun, right? It's, yeah, no, uh, it's it doesn't amazing. feel it doesn't feel like a job. Uh, mm. We're doing again. We've got a. We started out as a a trading entity. My background uh, is primarily sales onto the Indian subcontinent, um, Far East Asia, uh, ferrous scrap. So. Um, that that's what you know we could immediately add some value to a lot of smaller and medium-sized businesses in the uk um we started buying their material trading it not touching it physically um it was going in containers in short sea vessels into european markets or north african markets uh, and from there we sort of transitioned into you know having our own premises our own sites and you know hopefully this year we'll do about 1.2 million tons so yeah it's it's that's awesome man yeah. that's incredible growth um in in a really short period i mean i've been watching just on social media and on linkedin and i see the awards come in i realize well hold on this has got to be a real player now um and then you talk about those sort of volumes um, you're doing probably a couple of bulk vessels a month then. Um, and yeah, it seems to be absolutely flying. So that's awesome. And that's why, Harry, like I've been pushing to get you on here because there's a lot of people that listen to this who are, you know, small to medium sized recyclers and have these ambitions. And I think listening to somebody like you, um, who's, who's doing it at the moment, I don't want to say has done it. It's like you're doing it. You're, you're on the journey. It's such a good time to hear from you. I mean, last week we heard from George Adams, who's been on this journey for 40 years, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just incredible, but you're on a, a journey at an earlier stage and it's really exciting to um, speak to you at the moment with that. So talk us through a day in the life of Harry Seal at the moment. Like, are you a 5am guy, a 3am guy? Do you get up at 10am? Like, do you have coffee? No coffee? Like, what's your story? Yeah, no, no. 5.24am. My alarm clock every day, day in, day out. Um, yeah, a coffee, reading the Financial Times, understanding what's happening with the market, speaking to our customers. Uh, we've got a couple of guys on the ground in India and Thailand. We've got an office in Thailand uh, and an office in North India as well. So speaking to them, catching up with what's going on. Um, no two days are the same, to be honest, whether you're... Mm. You're, you're looking to, to buy some material, sell a cargo, uh, renegotiate a formula, or you're in a crane loading a ship. It, 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 we do yeah. it all. Uh, it's your 524 is the same every day. And then yeah. it depends on what's on your phone when you wake up, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, who's messaged you? Who needs what? <laughs> like, what's going on? I put it in order priority and get on with it. But uh, yeah. It, uh, I work quite well like that. I think I've uh, 
I've got ADHD and some form of Asperger's. So uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm on a hundred things at once. And I quite like it like that. I like to be busy. So. You and Elon Musk. So don't worry, you're in good company, mate. <laughs> You'll be okay. Um, talk us through, you obviously, you know, you wake up and, and you've got your Indian guys that are, that have been on the go for a few hours. You're in mm-hmm. the UK. Um, obviously, that happens with the time zone. So there's obviously a lot of trading that happens. Um, you've been on the commercial side for a long time. So can you talk me through a kind of pivotal trade experience that you've had and one that's kind of given you some huge learnings that set you up and make sure that you stick to certain, you know, certain rules um, within yeah. the company? Well, we had... Um... Again, starting out, you do things a bit differently and you put your own spin on things. Um, you pay to learn, I will say, in this industry because we've made our fair, fair share of mistakes. Uh, probably one of the most pivotal or the ones I really learned something from cost us a, a fair few quid. Um, it, was, it was sailing some material into India past uh, a due date for payment it'll be all right. We know these guys done business with them before. Um, yeah, let, let's just say it didn't go so well. Uh, the cargo gets to India and I think about four days before it arrives at the, uh, the discharge port, the shipping line has to file something called an IGM, uh, international general manifest that was filed in the buyer's name. And it makes it really hard then to, to sell it elsewhere. Uh, they never paid for the material. We we did have a 25% deposit, um, but you need something called a no-objection certificate in India to, to take this cargo back and effectively sell it to someone else. They can't release the cargo, but at the same time, demurrage is accruing, key rent. Uh, and, and, and it's a CIF sale. So you're yeah. just so we can go through into the weeds a bit. Um, you, all those costs are now for your account. So they now have the ability to negotiate um, from a point of power, yeah, position of power, fair because to you're say. accruing all this demurrage costs. Okay, I'm just trying to, yeah, so we're all on the same page. So it arrives on the other side, demurrage is accruing, um, they say, well, we don't really want this material anymore. Yeah, we don't want the material, uh, but we won't give you the no objection certificate unless you give us our 25% back. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and has the market subsequently dropped? I'm guessing. As a market, that's what's kind it was of a market on. claim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what? Um, how did you get through that? We just just paid. <laughs> that's all you can do in those circumstances. So did you pay the twenty five percent back, and then paid pay your demurrage that you've had and taken the material away? Yeah. So not only have you paid any sort of demurrage cost, you've given back the twenty five percent. And you've lost on the value of the material because you now have to sell it in a new market, which is much yeah. lower. Yeah. Like yeah. that wasn't is. A, uh, yeah. Wasn't a great experience. <laughs> Very similar to 2008 crash. Yeah. We had a lot of material on the water to China. Yeah. Um, they did stuff very similar, except we didn't even have any deposits. Um, they just wouldn't pick up the containers at the port. They're like, no, no, thank you. We don't want it anymore. Yeah. We're like, but here's our contract. They were like, well, good luck fighting us on it, right? Um, and that was 2008 crash. So I'm guessing it wasn't necessarily 2008, but it was any sort of time the market crashes or comes off significantly. Yeah. We're talking about having those sort of risks. So what did you implement since then? How have you made sure that that doesn't happen again? Yeah, we 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 track the IGMs now, the filing dates, and and we divert the cargo before that date, basically. 
we can, we right. take the deposits if we need to, uh, assuming the market is negative, um, to to cover the diversion costs, and uh, yeah, we don't let it go that far. So it's really clever. That's incredible learning. Um, you know, the fact that once it lands on the other side and those documents are in place, you can't take it away. You can't yeah. just remove it and think I've got that 25% deposit. So ensure you've either been paid in full before the ship docks. Yeah. Right. Make sure that the paperwork isn't even submitted in that way so that they have ownership of the goods mm-hmm. or control of the goods, we should say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, make sure that's all done or make sure you've been paid but get your ducks in a row early on. Don't just think it'll all be okay when it arrives at that port. Yeah. yeah. That's a bit of a blase attitude. And, and yeah. I should have known better. But uh, you live and learn. Hey, school fees, man. I tell you <laughs> what, you won't make that mistake again. And yeah. it's only when it really costs you that you learn yeah. that well. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've got young kids and it's like, you know, my wife will laugh at this. But the other day um, – my son didn't take his PE bag, his sports bag with him to school. Yeah. And my wife thinks that's my fault. I'm like, well, he's not going to make that mistake again. His bag was packed at the front door. He knows now he doesn't get to play sports at school, which he loves so much if he forgets his bag. So the only way he's going to learn to always remember his bag is to get to school without it. And when all his friends are playing sports, he can't. So he's suffering. And now he's learned to make sure he takes his bag. <laughs> Simple kind of uh, analogy, but... um yeah, I think it's. I think we've got to learn through those really tough time, time yeah. tough times. And no doubt, Harry, it was super hectic at the time. Like yeah, when you were going through it, like yeah. it's easy to look back now and like, yeah, yeah, stuff. Laugh about you it. Know, I should do better. Yeah, but um, yeah, at the time that would have been <laughs> really, really hard. Um, talking about moving your material, you've got Thailand offices. You've got um, people obviously sitting in India. You, mm-hmm. We were talking about that material on the water. What's the most important factor that influences who you sell your material to, right? Are we saying it's, it's is it only pricing? Is it relationships? Is it markets? You know, how do you yeah. decide that? I, I think it's it's relativity of markets. It's it's relationships and reputation. Um, uh, our whole industry is 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 founded on your name being your your bond, I suppose. So, mm. yeah, that, that's an important part of it. Um, my job historically in sales means I, I'm fortunate to, enough to know a lot of the mills and the the owners of the mills across the world directly. And uh, mm. generally, you're you're in good stead there, and, and you you go with your gut feel. It, it's uh, price is obviously important, but that's not outright as such. Uh, it can come from the way you ship the cargo, economies of scale in shipping bigger vessels as opposed to mm. single containers that lots of different factors uh but for me relationship and uh yeah yeah dealing with customers that have integrity relationships are absolutely key i think it's trickier when you're smaller and don't have the experience you have from um selling massive amounts of material Mm -hmm. um and selling them to the end users and selling them um dealing sometimes right with the top um so you know the reputation you know the standard that is set from the top um, when you're more small to medium, I think the struggle is, you know, I don't have necessarily the relationship with those people. How do I trust those people? That that often plays a big part and isn't as simple as that. So, yeah, yeah it's something that I think um, all small to medium guys are playing with on a daily basis, right? Like, how do I, who do I sell to? Do I just go based on price? I mean, if I don't get paid, the price isn't important, right? <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. It's 
it's difficult. Um, do you um do you always um get multiple bids on anything? I mean, there's something conversation I've been having with a few people. Some people are very lax and they're like, you know what? I can trust this guy. He always gives me the best price. It's not why I've ever done anything, but I have heard that lady. What what is your way of offering out material? Yeah, I can. Depending on the type of material we're, we're selling, um, yeah, we we have an idea in mind. I'd say six, seven times out of ten, it's us who are putting forward our price aspirations, mm. and it starts a, a pretty standard negotiation. Um, yeah, we don't necessarily go and get three quotes before we sell it, and we're not very rigid like that. We're a relatively small, very nimble sort of. I'd say we're an agile operator. So we want, you know, to do easy business with people we know, people we trust, uh, and move on and do another business. So, mm. you know, t- time is money uh, for for us, and we're a small team. We don't want problematic cargo shipments. Uh, yeah, it's not rocket science. We're just trying to sell some scrap. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting though. Um, that is a different take. So I would say the majority of people I speak to, nine out of ten times, they want a price first. Okay. We're saying six or seven out of ten, you're yeah. giving the price. We're not talking bulk vessels though. Yeah. You see, I think when you talk bulk, I used to sell three vessels a month um when I was in South Africa. When you're talking about you, you it's quite easy to know what the price is that you want. And yeah. to start with, hey, look, I'm looking at 425, like whatever yeah. it might be. Like I'm looking for that price. And that you know you're going to start $10, $15 above what you think you're going to end on. And yeah. they know the same. So you're going to meet in the middle. Bulk, I think, is a different animal. There's, it's a lot easier to to know what price you want. You've been buying yeah. against the price. You know what the price is in the market. Um, so bulk is different. I think when you talk about containerized ferrous sales or non-ferrous, um, you've got a lot more um kind of auctioning the material where you're sending it out to five buyers and um, what's that messaging? Hey, you know, what's the price in your area? What price yeah. can you give me for the taint to bore or birch yeah. cliff, whatever it might be. Um, and it's ones and twos when it's bulk and you, you know, you're buying a whole month or half the month for this one, for yeah. one vessel. Um, yeah. And you, you do a lot of homework, right? You wake up, you, you read the financial times, you know what the market's doing. Yeah. I think for us as well, we, we, we have this trading business which buys from, you know, uh, UK yards and sells it directly to end consumers. So a lot of our conversations are based around the aspirations of that yard for that 2,000 ton of mm. plate and girder or for that 5,000 ton of uh, 4C automotive bales. And we take that, we take our costs, we put on our margin aspirations and we field it out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's perfect. You know, I wanted to ask you questions about your buying strategy. So mm-hmm. you spoke about all the grades that you, you're looking to buy. Um, and can you explain a little bit how you buy that material? So are you relying on, is it purely pricing? Are we talking, have you got marketing out there? Um, is there a customer experience that you excel at? And uh, do you have buyers on the road? Talk me through how you yeah. guys go out and source the material. It's, it's a bit of all of that sort of formed into one so what our business has has done quite successfully is we do things differently uh is open up the market a bit it's atlas is based on you know transparency so whereas the uk deep sea market certainly has historically been sort of shrouded in secrecy 
we've made that very simple for everyone to understand. This is what 425 means in Turkey today. And mm. this is our freight. This is our margin. Would wow, you like to, that's would super you like transparent. To yeah, it's very transparent. But it's also been met um, quite positively. We do a lot of our business, probably about 50% on a fixed contract basis. So we service um, industrial accounts, industry, basically. We've uh, long-term frame contracts against uh, various indices that are published monthly, whether Platts, SBB, or Argus. Um, I, I favor that type of business because you can plan. You, you've got your base tons. You know they're coming into your yards. You know what your cost is up ahead, rather than relying on spot business, uh, assuming you've, you're always competitive. Um, well, industry business is the best. I mean, it's amazing because yeah. it just ticks over. You're not fighting on a weekly basis to try and make yeah. sure it comes into your yard versus somebody's. You've yeah. got this base volume. I have one question, and it just might be that I'm a scrap nerd, um, and I used to have a lot of these. Do you, when you set up your pricing um, on a formula, do you have it as a percentage, and then do you actually show the breakdown to them? Would you would you say minus transport collected, minus handling, minus that, or is it just a lump sum minus all costs, which include my margin? Yeah, um, again, we we. Well, sorry, is it a percentage which includes all of that actually? No, no we 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 break it down. So that is the difference in in our approach, if you like, is we say this is what it costs us to collect your material. We're trying to save costs. Our, our whole business and, and why we've done quite well in the UK is about cutting unnecessary cost uh, and challenging the, the status quo. It could, because it was collected here and went here for the last seven years, that, that's not the best way. So we've you know been quite successful by putting people on sites that production facilities that generate uh, scrap caterpillars 27 production facilities in the UK, we do them. We do the largest scrap contract uh, there is in the UK today, which is uh, seven of Tata Steel's downstream mills. Um, and again, that is a bespoke solution to say, hey, it doesn't make a lot of sense to send that there. That costs $25, then bail it, it's $20, then send it here, it's another 15 and put it on a ship, another 10. We'll put a person on site, we'll load containers, and it costs us 15. So that <laughs> invariably allows us to pay a better price for it, sell it at a fair price as well. So both sets of our buyers are happy. Uh, and, you know, we've got a decent margin in between because we've made some efficiencies. And your margin's always known, yeah. which is great because you're locking it in against the formula. So yeah. you know what that margin is. Um, as look, long as the indices are accurate. Yeah, 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 exactly right. So that's where you've got to be. And, and have you ever had to go back to, to your supplier and say, I've had to do this? Um, sorry, look, the indices, you know, lagging. Um, yeah. This is what we're actually selling in in the market at the moment. Um, I have to – and how has that yeah. been dealt with by you guys? They're, they're difficult conversations, but I'm sure every guy sitting in our seats has, has had them in the past. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You go into something with with the best intent, but but ultimately, it's got to be um, sustainable for all parties. Mm. And I think as long as you you show it in a fair and a representative way, generally we've we've not found too much uh, 
What's the right word? No um, pushback yet. Pushback, you've, yeah. Uh, you've got some really good um, traction, so that's amazing. Now, have you got full-time reps on the road? Have you got people that are yeah, servicing we, these relationships? We've got five guys in the UK um, and myself that does a little bit. Um, and, yeah, they, they have their own accounts, their own customers that they deal with. It, it, it works well. That's more spot business. Mm. But, uh yeah, okay, but exciting. then who looks after the relationships of the big accounts? So you've got um, getting account executives that are looking after those relationships. Yeah, I, again, we're a relatively small company. There's there's 62 people in Atlas, uh, which is not a lot compared to mm. some of the the bigger competitors. Um, mm. So we do a lot ourselves as well. Yeah. Well, it's great if you can manage those relationships, right? Um, yeah. If they if they court your business and you're handling them as the CEO. Um, there's a few reasons why that's really good. One is you're on top of it all the time. Two yeah. is I think it's harder for um, your client to leave if he's dealing with the CEO. Um, they feel a lot more respected and, and appreciated as well. Mm-hmm. I want to just double click on one thing quickly, and that is um, I used to call um, my reps consultants because yeah. what you just explained to me is you're going into, and this is probably really good for people to understand, you're going into people's businesses. And you're saying, I'm going to pay you more money for your script, but I'm not just going to pay you because the value is higher. I'm going to make less margin. Mm -hmm. I'm going to identify efficiencies in the process for you. So initially, you don't just walk in and go, $425 is what I'm going to pay you. You walk in, you go, well, let me see how you're doing it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Do we need to invest in a bailer on site Mm -hmm. to reduce your cost per ton to get it to the port? Do we need to um, put three people on your site? Whatever it might be, some equipment, whatever. Um, and once you do that, then you go and show them the saving. Is yeah. I mean, that am I right that that's kind of that's how you treat them? Exactly right. That is our business. Yeah, so. you can't necessarily just go hire a salesperson from a coffee shop. No, um, I say that because I used to hire baristas to go and do a lot of the um, a lot of my customer facing stuff. Um, right. They were always brilliant at that. Um, but you can't hire them to go into industry and identify cost savings. Yeah, no, again, we're fortunate being a relatively small business today that, you know, we, we can hand pick uh, the, the right people with experience, uh, the caliber that, that we want. So, so, yeah, so, Harry, if you're doing all of this right, because what I'm, I'm, if what I'm picking up is you do a lot of that yourself. Um, you need you or senior management team that goes in and helps on this consulting, looking for the opportunities because you can't just go and hire somebody off the street to do that. Mm-hmm. That you you must rely on a lot of data for a lot of other sides of your business or a lot of um, impactful or important parts of your business. What sort of data do you get? Um, I mean, um, you know, you're looking at inventories or you're looking at sales per day, what or purchases per day. What do you look at? Yeah, yeah, uh, inventory stocks. Incoming scrap reports, landed weights, uh, landed costs, again, uh, auxiliary costs, haulage, a, a bit of everything summarized uh, in a way that I can even understand it. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's we're not a massively data focused business. Um, just a case for us of laying out, you know, what our costs are versus what we're buying the material for. Versus what we're selling it for. It's uh, an identifying in, in somewhere in the middle, uh, some some cost saving opportunity, and hopefully making yeah. a brand. And where does that information come from? Do you have you know an admin team that's sending it to you? Have you yeah. got a Power BI system or yeah, power, what do you power use to BI. 
Um, okay. We've got a back office in in Dubai as well that generates a lot of this information for us. So, and that's that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. It doesn't just fall out the sky, right? No, yeah. yeah. You are using data, but it's having to be pushed to you. Somebody or some systems are putting it together so that you yeah. can just look at a dashboard and go, "Here's some issues," or "Here's what's going really well." You know, yeah. I need to get a little bit more into the weeds on this because yeah. my inventory is too high or my costs are too high on that commodity yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah, I come across it all. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, small team, 60-odd people, you must have – first of all, you've probably got absolute weapons out there, so you've got some great people on your team. Um, how do you ensure they don't disappear? And by disappear, I don't mean fall into the ship. I mean – um, how do you make sure that your opposition don't take them, right? You've got massive key man risk or key person risk in this industry. How do you deal with that? You look after your people is the very short answer. Uh, you make them not want to go anywhere else. Uh, and that's easy to do as a, as a relatively small operator that's not confined by lots of processes and, and pay structures and incentive schemes it's uh you know the people who who work at atlas uh, i'd like to think they they do very well and they enjoy their job that they, they've got to what's the mm. point in going to work if you if you don't enjoy it it's uh yeah it's, it's fun at the moment uh, and I, I would like to think every man and lady at atlas would say the same so it's you're saying one of the main, I mean, key thing there is cultures coming across. Yeah, the absolutely. Team enjoy themselves. Yeah, yeah, they feel appreciated for the work they do and content at, at the end of the day. They, they work hard, mm. bloody hard. Yeah, a, a very loyal team. Is, is there, have you got a bonus structure, an incentive structure? How do you make yeah. sure these people stay? Yeah, we have monthly bonuses. So, so we do something, again, quite different. Um, in the UK with our traders, for example, uh, reps, as you would say, they, they're on a competitive base salary. Over and above that, 8% of whatever they make for the company, they keep every month on a monthly basis. Whether, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not three years down the line. It's not once a year at Christmas. You tell me, you come and sit in front of me and report what you've made by doing that trade, this trade. You know, at the end of each month, and I'll go through line by line the cost with you. Yep, yep, yep. No, that one's had a claim. This is your yeah. this is your number. Uh, and again, our back office and support functions that allow the traders to do what they're doing, they take two percent as well. So overall, mm. there's a pretty good bonus structure for our staff. But I, I strongly believe that. The whole team should do well if the if the business is doing well. So, mm. okay, yeah. so salespeople, which is what your um, traders are, um, mm. are a different animal to everybody else. Um, mm. They like the short term incentives. That eight percent sounds fantastic. I've tried to do something very similar. Mm -hmm. um, we had four thousand two hundred people in South Africa. Mm. Um, Seventy five buyers at a stage. Um, and there's many angles I could go with my next few questions. So I'm not going to go everywhere, but okay. Uh, give me, uh, tell me you've had an argument with somebody where they've been adamant that they've made this profit, but you've yeah. had to say to them, but yeah, but you didn't because there might've been a sales price you were using, but we actually ended up selling it for that. Yeah. Or something. I, again, you can imagine 
as a trading entity, we've probably got uh, 30,000 tonne of material on the water at any one time in containers. So we do have to do a bit of juggling around with letters of credit or documentation, or switch this cargo to this buyer because he's not paid yet, uh, you know, to keep us safe and protected. So all of a sudden, they bought this material back-to-back on a trade, thought they were locking in a $20 margin, turns out to lose $10, and because the, the material's been diverted or something like that, you have those arguments, but uh, it, rough with the smooth. And uh, yeah, overall, yeah. and over the course of time, I think it's, uh, it's six and two threes. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it was just I just wanted to touch on it because I've had so many of those discussions over the years. And um, I've never found the perfect incentive system that everybody was really happy with. And you never had a question about it. Um, I think our industry doesn't lend itself to that. However, if you have an open policy where you can have the conversation and explain both parties explain. So I explain why I want the 8% and that's the value. And you explain why you don't think. And we come, it's kind of like how our quality works in general. Like um, it's gray. HMS arrives on the other side. Somebody's going to tell you why there's 2% impurities. You're going to say it's 1% and you're going to have the discussion. I mean, I've had that. That's kind of how I see traders and their incentives uh, over so many years. Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah. And okay. So let's, let's understand how do you see technology impacting the industry in the near future? And do you use a lot of technology? You mentioned Power BI. That's something, right? Mm -hmm. It's the start Mm -hmm. of something. It's a great dashboard. I used it. Um, it feeds in from all the other systems. What else would you think there is or what are you using? I, I think there's more technological advances to be made in processing, to be honest. Uh, if you look at the way our industry is going in, in the UK uh, and in Europe, you know we're all transitioning to lower carbon steel making from blast furnace to electric arc steel making. Uh, and that is going to require a hell of a lot more higher quality scrap. So further segregation, that's where money needs to be spent uh, in, in processing solutions to, to deliver the right quality to make flat products with electric arcs. Uh, and I, I think it's looking really good. I mean, I look at the trajectory of that. People are putting a lot of capital into that at the moment, and it's yeah. really exciting. Um there's a lot of capital going into green steel um, yeah. and making sure that we do things better for the future. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think there will be a huge impact of that in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think in the UK, especially with all the change that's going on recently, being in the press, it, it's all to play for in the next five years. So, absolutely, 100%. Um, oh, I heard a great saying the other day. I, I've forgotten what it was exactly, but basically, um, in turmoil, there's opportunity, right? Yeah. You know, so you know, right now, people, yeah. yeah, exactly. Everybody's looking at it going, oh, what are they going to do and ban exports? And they find the opportunity in yeah. that, right? Yeah. Find that opportunity in that storm. And um, if you do, you know, that's where you come out on top. Mm-hmm. 100%. So we speak about capital investing in those that sort of technology. Mm-hmm. Talk to me how you've used capital because you can't have the sort of growth that you've had without investing money. Um, you know, is it the capital you've got? Talk me through um, 
what you've spent it on. Maybe you don't have to go. We don't have to do a full capex and go through every single line <laughs> item. But um, and and have you guys relied on loans? Is it equity? Is there a lot of trade finance? What do you guys do um, to set up your business? Yeah, we, we've got a trade finance facility, but but the majority of our finance, to be honest, comes from our, our partners. So we partnered up with a company you'll probably be quite familiar with, the South African. It's uh, Anglo American PLC. Oh, that's um, small. They're that small, like cafe on the corner, right? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> I think uh, something like forty billion uh, turnover yeah, last year. Yeah, massive, massive. Um, crazy, crazy numbers. But but they've mm. you know uh, supported our journey, and they've got an intent to diversify into urban mining, as they call it, uh, as opposed to to real mining of virgin resources. Because uh, uh, they see the market shifting towards a greener, more environmentally friendly picture. Uh, mm. th- they've been really supportive, uh, and they sort of uh, given us the financial firepower that we don't have ourselves to to have a ruckus. You know, it's. Uh, and, and, but you can't. Like uh, I look at any company on a trajectory like yours. I had something similar, not to your level, but when I started my company in New Zealand, you have to bring on the right capital structure to have that right so the right point whether it's um you know for trade just for trade finance the fact that you Mm -hmm. want to be able to pay up front and get paid at a later stage in order to optimize your margin as well as be able to compete against the big behemoths in our industry Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you have to have that partner so you've got anglo that helps you do they then do your trade they do everything for you your trade no they do all of our inventory stocking uh so so Mm -hmm. we've gone from being this container trader to buying a few short sea cargoes uh, and selling them, and, and we're self-financing that. We currently have a sort of uh, RCF facility, which is trade finance receivables. Um, Anglo do our inventory. So to really grow the business, we've now opened our Newport deep sea facility. We can load up to 38,000 ton cargoes there, straight into Turkey or the Indian sub or Asia, if the market permits. Um, they financed that stock for us, which has enabled us to do that much sooner than we otherwise would have been able to. So it's a, it's a really good partnership. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to what's to come. And um, would that, is there capital as well? Do they invest in assets for you? I mean, I don't know if you've got a lot of trucks on the road, yeah. uh, diggers and material handlers. <laughs> uh, there's a structure there to allow for it. We haven't used it. Um, okay. We sort of just, just, plowing back uh, uh, the proceeds and earnings into the business as you do in this industry you're trying to fuel your own growth uh yeah and if you can that's phenomenal right um you'll be on an amazing trajectory like you guys are um and i am excited to see what comes next so um, no doubt atlas is doing some exciting things talk me through um an equipment purchase right so your best or your worst equipment purchase something you've either made a terrible mistake or something that has fueled you into the future um, don't give me brands if it's a bad story. I don't want to know that you bought some piece of equipment from so-and-so and it was terrible. This isn't a name and shame. Yeah, um, so. Is there any sort of equipment that's had a massive effect on you? Again, for, for us, we weren't a physical player. So we, we were a trading entity. We never touched the material. So for us to venture into, you know, right, we've got to have some cranes. We've got, we've got to open our own scrapyard. It was a, a scary prospect. Uh, and we bought some shit along the way. Am I allowed to say shit? Uh, we bought some. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to say we, shit. Yeah, we we bought some dogs along the way. But uh, mm. I, I think that's tortoise. You, you buy it once and you buy it properly. 
so we tend to now buy new machinery, most of which is German. Um, and yeah, it's been good so far. The the thing that really sets them apart is the service. We, we again, don't have the same assets as, as our giant competitors that have been going for the last 50 years. Um, so they need to work. Uh, we can't afford downtime. So, so the, yeah. the backup service, and you know, when we have big vessels that are at twenty five thousand dollars a day, we have someone there just in case a crane goes down because it affects our load rate and and it costs us money. Man, I think I think a lot of people don't know the pressure of doing a bulk vessel. Yeah. <laughs> like you have a digger go down, all of a sudden there is a problem, right? If yeah. that load rate drops. You know, it can drop so small, but have such a massive effect financially. It's crazy. Eh? You've got to yeah. be on top of it like 100% every step of the way working, I don't know, 18-hour shifts. Like I'm talk- not talking about your staff, but you probably yeah. at the port all the time checking yeah. out, you know, how do we do this quicker, learning each time and getting better and better. Um, it is It is just a constant lesson. Yeah, You're learning every time. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully you improve a bit uh, and you keep making those improvements. That, that's yeah. That's all you yeah, can ask You don't for. have a shredder. You don't have a shredder, do you? No, not at the moment. Okay. Not at the moment. I was going to say <laughs> not yet. I not believe yet. is the answer. Um, <laughs> they say in Afrikaans and that probably, which is South African, they say um, yeah. probably in Dutch, it's the same. Um, is that means um, a good purchase is an expensive purchase. Yeah. I learned it the hard way. I bought um, a couple of Chinese balers. I bought some equipment that didn't last, a mobile shredder, which didn't last. I probably had 70% downtime. Yeah. Like I made some mistakes when um, when I moved to New Zealand. And um, yeah, I think anything I learned was buy the expensive machinery yeah. um, yes. because the cost when it's down yeah. is actually yeah. so much more than the cost yeah. to buy a good piece of equipment. Yeah. It's hard, Absolutely. though, to make those choices because even I think we're looking at a crane <laughs> at the moment and a big crane, 40 meter reach. Uh, one of those is not just a mobile handler. It's a, it's a port, piece of port machinery, four or five yeah. million pounds. Yeah. Uh, and it's scary to, without the right knowledge, get that potentially wrong. Do we go with this manufacturer or or this one? Yes. If you it, it's hard. So it's quite interesting, right? Um, I just want to touch on for a second. Who do you speak to about that? I mean, have you got mentors in the industry? Have you got people that you can reach out to? People that have, you know, have you got a community that you speak to? Like, yeah. for, I, You've got a lot of customers. Again, though, when you're getting into that size of machine, it's not a machine that, you know, there, there's 300 of in the UK and they're loading containers. It's specifically for loading big ships. Mm-hmm. Um so the only people you can really ask are your competitors who aren't really going to, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay if you if you ask them in the US, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm working on something which I think might help to be able to communicate with other people around the world, um, like little community where you'd be able to say to somebody um, in the United States, hey, I see you have the following, you know, can you give me a reference? Instead of just having to, call them cold yeah, on LinkedIn, yeah. rather yeah. create a small community of like-minded people because uh, yeah. I think it's really needed. Um, I, you know, you're not, there isn't enough you're not competing. In our you're not industry. competing with them. You're not competing with them in another area. 
So yeah. we might as well be helping each other. Yeah, and I agree. And and sorry, I cut you off, but um, yeah, there's not enough of it in in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, who do you want to hear next on Born Scrappy? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> nah, that's a difficult one. Um, I'd like I'd like to hear from Attila, uh, a guy called Attila. Don't know if you know him. Met him a few times, had dinner with him and lunch with him the other day in Singapore. Okay. In fact, he convinced you to be on here, I believe, because <laughs> I've been asking you a lot. And then Attila said um, he would. Attila um, is the owner of Navigate Commodities, mm-hmm. um, where he can. In fact, I'll have him on and he can explain it better. But he tracks um, stock and he tracks the movement of mm. pig iron, HMS, you yeah. know, all of the sort of um, anything that's really influencing the scrap metal prices. So. Okay, yeah, so you think we should do a masterclass with um, Attila? I think it would be interesting. I, I, you might have to change it from born scrappy to adopted scrappy, but uh, yeah. he's very good. He understands our markets. He understands the macroeconomic picture that's driving it all. And, uh, yeah, he's doing some exciting stuff at the moment. So He really is, and if you haven't, seen them before you should really should look i'm talking not to you but other people now um they should really look him up and and see if that business can affect just their strategy and, and how they run their day-to-day because i i looked at his tech and it's phenomenal yeah. like i couldn't believe yeah. the information using satellites that he could get on all the different yeah. ports and 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 the tonnages and the movements and yeah so it's, it's really exciting um last thing before we go because we're going to run out of time soon is we'd like to get to know our guests a little bit better so quick fire few questions what's your favorite movie or tv show i don't watch a lot of tv billions i quite like i enjoyed that yeah me too yeah axel rod yeah. big fan as well yeah. love billions billions is awesome upset it's over at the moment yeah. um favorite book do you read a lot i read a fair bit yeah uh a book about commodity traders called the world for sale uh yep Brilliant, Ready? brilliant book. Incredible yeah, book. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, loved it. Worth, uh, my father-in-law sent it to me. My father-in-law was like, he couldn't put it down. And he's yeah. like, oh, my God, Stu, you have to, have to, have to. So yeah, like, yeah, he got me. I read to, it. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you read um, Cold Steel? I recommended this to somebody else the other day. Yeah. It's the Lakshmi Mittal story. I think you will love it. Okay. It's literally how he comes from working in a foundry to, to becoming you know, who you now know is like yeah. really good. It's a, you won't put it down. It's written like a thriller. Like it's, it's exciting. I mean, I guess you know how it ends. He doesn't fail. <laughs> and, you know, he doesn't die at the end of the book at least. <laughs> so it's worth a great book, Cold Steel. Um, <laughs> favorite place to visit? Switzerland to chill out and relax. Yeah. Well, you seem to be doing a great job of chilling out and relax. You're on a podcast. You've, uh, you're watching your yards. You've got your earpods in, but I get it. That is probably more relaxing than being in the yard at the moment. Yeah. It was awesome. Awesome having you, Harry. I've loved it. We really got a bit more into the weeds than normal. And thank you for being so open and giving us so much information. I think the listeners will love this episode. So thank you, Harry. Thanks for being with us. All right. Take care. Cheers, mate. See you later.